If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to share us and subscribe so you don't miss our next show. We'd love to talk with you again. Hello again, everyone. I hope you've had a great week. It's certainly been an eventful one in Washington. I've had to go back and update these stories multiple times as new developments kept rolling in nonstop. Forget reality TV. This is where the real drama is, folks. Let's get started with our favorite huckster in the house. The hot water representative George Santos is in just got a few degrees hotter. Ten new federal charges have just been added to the list of existing ones. He is now also charged with stealing donor identities and racking up thousands of dollars in fraudulent charges on their credit cards and transferring the money to his personal bank account. He is also now accused of embezzling cash from his company and conspiring with his former campaign treasurer, Nancy Marks, to cook the books so his fundraising levels hit required Republican Party targets. This superseding indictment replaces the previous case against him and brings the total counts to 23. Marks pled guilty last week to one count of conspiracy to commit fraud. Prosecutors have messages between Marks and Santos detailing their efforts to pump up the funding numbers to qualify for further support from the GOP to his campaign. Santos pled not guilty to the original 13 counts in May. Those included seven counts of wire fraud, three counts of money laundering, one count of theft of public funds, and two counts of making materially false statements to the House of Representatives. He has admitted to some non-criminal actions like lying about his education, his past employment and finances, but denies the criminal charges, calling them a witch hunt. He also claimed he was a successful Wall Street and real estate investor when he was actually almost broke and repeatedly threatened with eviction. Santos also claimed to be Jewish, which he isn't. He's missed multiple deadlines to submit his house-mandated financial disclosures and has still not submitted them. Santos refuses to resign, despite the increasingly louder calls for him to do so, the expanding weight of evidence against him, the federal indictment, and ongoing House ethics investigation. In a Wednesday interview, he vowed to fight until the bitter end. He continued, It's frustrating to me that I have to sit here and now have to defend myself for things that I pay someone else to do. It appears he's trying to throw his staff under the bus on this. He still plans to seek re-election next year. A group of six New York freshman representatives has had enough, though. They're planning to introduce a resolution to expel the Republican colleague and are trying to line up votes. Quote, We feel that enough's enough, said a representative from a neighboring district, Anthony D'Esposito. He's a stain on the institution. Expulsion requires a two-thirds supermajority to pass, and as such has only been successfully done five times in history. The Democrats tried back in May when Santos's first indictment dropped, but then-Speaker Kevin McCarthy diverted that energy into the House Ethics Committee, where Santos is currently under investigation. The reignition of the will to expel Santos, and coming from within his own caucus, is likely driven by the recent guilty plea of his treasurer and the additional charges he now faces. Democrats suggest otherwise, asking, Is your increasing vulnerability the reason you've changed your tune? With the Speaker removed and the ongoing effort to get a new one seated, the young legislators are acting alone right now, with no direction by party leaders, according to one of them, Nick LaLotta. It is not known if other New York members will join them, like Elise Stefanik, chair of the House Republican Conference. If Santos can weather this latest challenge, he may have to battle Democrat Tom Susie, who announced Tuesday he will be running to take the seat back. Susie retired from the seat in 2022 to run for governor of New York, a race he lost. He beat Santos in 2020, 
and looks intent on doing it again. Fellow Democrats vying for the opportunity to take out a vulnerable Santos include Zach Malamed, Anna Kaplan, Josh LaFonza, Will Murphy, and the man Santos beat in 2022, Robert Zimmerman. Maybe he won't have to face a Democrat challenger, though. He may not make it to the general election, if Thomas Ludwig has anything to say about it. Ludwig is challenging Santos in the Republican primary for New York's 3rd Congressional District. He joins Kellen Curry, another Republican candidate, targeting the embattled representative seat in the primary. The Democrats' taunting of Republicans on House member George Santos rings hollow, though, when considering their handling of their own poison pill, Senator Robert Menendez. Even though more than half of his fellow Democratic senators have called for him to resign, he refuses, and they have made no move to force him out. Yes, the Republicans protected Santos when he was initially charged, but now seem to be able to admit he's guilty and are starting to take action. The Senate Democrats are sitting on their hands about Menendez and just hoping he goes away. Why? Well, here's a theory. The Democrats have an even weaker majority in the Senate than the Republicans do in the House. While in the House, the GOP has 221 seats to 212 for the Democrats, they also lead the Democrats in seat count in the Senate, 49 to 48. But why are the Republicans the minority party in the Senate, I hear you say? Here's why. There are three independent senators, Vermont's Bernie Sanders and Maine's Angus King, who caucus with the Democrats, and Arizona's Kirsten Sinema, who will not caucus with the Republicans. So the final math gives the Democrats a one-seat majority. If Bob Menendez resigns, then New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy gets to appoint Menendez's replacement. Oh yeah, Murphy is a Democrat. Please allow me to jump to a conclusion that he will appoint a Democrat and protect the party's slim majority. If, however, Menendez refuses to resign, the Democrats will either have to primary him with another candidate in public, Messi, which might result in the Republicans being able to flip the seat or support him, which will most definitely flip the seat. If none of the other races result in either party losing or gaining a seat, you will have an even 50-50 Senate, which means Kamala Harris, as President of the Senate and a Democrat, would be camping out in the chamber breaking tie votes well into the future if Biden secures re-election and she is still his running mate. Luckily for Democrats, Bob is doing the right... What? Ugh. Uh-oh. He doesn't seem very willing to walk away, actually, telling Politico, I don't have to answer to you people. I will tell the people in New Jersey when I'm ready. The Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee has a standing policy of protecting incumbents and hasn't taken action against him. The Democratic fundraising platform Act Blue also still has active fundraising pages for Menendez. Menendez is connected. He has had a great deal of influence in New Jersey politics for 20 years. He mentored fellow New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, and his son, Rob Menendez, is down the hall as a House member. Many politicians have benefited from, and are currently finding ways to get rid of, campaign contributions they received from Menendez's super PAC. They better hurry up because Thursday brought fresh charges against the embattled senator, with federal prosecutors dropping a superseding indictment that accuses he and his wife of conspiring to have him act as a foreign agent of Egypt. Their evidence keys in on Menendez and his wife meeting with an Egyptian intelligence official and New Jersey businessman, Wael Hanna, in his Senate office in 2019. The topic of that meeting was members of Congress objecting to providing military aid to Egypt based on the injury of an American in a 2015 airstrike and his compensation not being fair. 
Menendez searched the name of the injured American, and a week later, the Egyptian official texted Hana, if Menendez helped resolve the issue, quote, he will sit very comfortably, to which Hana replied, orders, consider it done. Menendez's wife is accused of reaching out to the Egyptians again, texting, quote, anytime you need anything, you have my number, and we will make everything happen. The Egyptian official took her up on that offer, meeting with the senator to discuss a dam Ethiopia was building across the Nile River, which Egypt was concerned about. Less than a month later, Menendez contacted the Treasury Secretary and Secretary of State to express his concern about the dam negotiations. This may be the final straw. Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman, hopefully wearing his finest gym hoodie, called on the full Senate to vote on expelling Menendez, saying we, we cannot have an alleged foreign agent in the United States Senate. What a novel concept. We have a nomination, and we don't again. Behind closed doors meetings with the Republican House members earlier this week led to the nomination of Majority Leader Steve Scalise for Speaker of the House over Judiciary Chair Jim Jordan. Scalise, while winning the majority of Republicans in the meeting, 113 to 99, did not win all of them. He did not have full support, so could not guarantee the 217 votes he would need to take the gavel when the nomination went to the floor for a vote of the full chamber. There had been previous discussion about raising the threshold to that number before announcing results publicly. Speaker Pro Tem Patrick McHenry had proposed that rules change whereby the majority would be secured behind closed doors before the actual vote was brought to the floor. The Republicans desperately wanted to avoid the public spectacle that went down in January with 15 contentious rounds of voting before Kevin McCarthy was finally named Speaker. McCarthy supported the change, stating, They shouldn't come out of there until they decide that they have enough votes for whoever they bring to the floor. The motion was tabled, though. Both candidates were said to have similar messages about cutting spending and securing the border. Matt Goetz, the Republican that actually called for the motion to vacate that created this situation, indicated he would support either prior to the vote. Ken Buck, one of the eight Republicans who voted with Goetz to boot Kevin McCarthy, previously said, quote, I'm not thrilled with either choice right now, and later confirmed that he just voted present. Centrist members were not so enthusiastic either with some wishing for the gavel to be put back in Kevin McCarthy's hand. Representative Carlos Jimenez stated he still planned to vote for Kevin McCarthy, calling what happened an injustice, and that I don't think 96% needs to bow down to 4%. Contrasting the two candidates, Jordan was said to have a plan for another stopgap measure to avert a shutdown, where Scalise wanted to push the 12 independent spending bills and force a negotiation with the Senate. The previous is what got Kevin McCarthy fired, and the latter is what the House Freedom Caucus, Jordan's buddies, have said they want. Purple District Republicans, those with an even mix of conservative and liberal constituents, noted that where Jordan had never demonstrated a belief it was his job to campaign for his fellow members, as Speaker it would be, Scalise, by contrast, has a record of campaigning and fundraising for his fellow members. When pressed by members as to what promises the two have made to secure support, the candidates offered little information, which frustrated many. Some Republican members had vocal concerns about Steve Scalise's health, though. He was diagnosed in August with myeloma, a type of blood cancer, and he has been undergoing treatment, including chemotherapy. Representative Ralph Norman said, I was honest with Scalise. I think his health is an issue. I don't want somebody that is going to deteriorate on the job. 
Several members still would not commit to voting for Scalise on the floor of the House after his nomination, and the immediacy of the opposition confirmed there were still serious divides in the caucus. Thomas Massey warned, I think there's at least 20, meaning members, not ready to vote for Scalise on the floor. For example, Wednesday, Florida's Anna Paulina Luna said she would cast her vote for Scalise. Thursday, she reversed herself after meeting with him. Scalise had been meeting members individually to try and secure votes, and his former opponent Jim Jordan tried to convince his supporters to now support Scalise for the floor vote. As of Thursday morning, though, the situation did not look much improved. A frustrated Republican, Mike Rogers from Alabama, called eight fellow members traitors that paralyzed the House. And even if they decided to support the nominee, then there's just another eight just like them. He admitted they have a fractured conference and that they would need Democratic support to elect the next speaker. Rogers, chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, thinks that Democrats should make the offer first. The Democrats, unsurprisingly, disagree. But Minority Whip Catherine Clark of Massachusetts did say, that is going to be up to our caucus to make that decision, but our door is always open. The possibility of continued difficulty getting a new speaker elected has led to discussions of temporarily empowering acting speaker Patrick McHenry for a span of time, with leader of the Republican governance group saying, the world is on fire and we need to address these problems. We've got 34 days until funding runs due again. Representative Rogers does not entertain that plan, though, saying Steve Scalise is the majority winner in our conference, so he's going to be the person that's our next speaker if we get a speaker ever. The man who lost to Scalise, Jim Jordan, similarly feels it's Scalise or nothing. Steve Scalise is the speaker designee. That's where we need to go. Well, that was then, and this is now. Steve Scalise ended his bid to become speaker late last night. He has declined to back anyone else for the job, and his rival, Jim Jordan, has said he will no longer seek the position, and then there were none. The House remained shut down. The continuing resolution that was pushed through at the 11th hour that extended funding ends on the 17th of November. Ukraine funding is still up in the air, and no action on acknowledging or supporting Israel is forthcoming. Robert Kennedy's son, environmental lawyer and anti-vax nonprofit leader, RFK Jr., has announced his bid to run as an independent in the 2024 presidential race. He was already campaigning as a candidate in the Democratic primaries, where he was polling in the single-digit range. There had been speculation that he might run on the Libertarian ticket, owing to his conversations with that party's leader since July, but he has chosen to run as a pure independent, announcing it over the weekend. Kennedy is looking to be a uniter already, as both the Republican and Democrats are not pleased with his run. Arguably, when he was running for the Democratic nomination, he was no threat. He was neutralized because he was getting no traction, so would never be nominated to go to the general election as a Democrat. Everyone was safe. As an independent, however, Kennedy basically just nominated himself, and is now, essentially, already campaigning in the general election. In effect, he's the only candidate Biden is running against until the Republicans, Libertarians, Greens, and soon No Labels Party name their horses. He now has a head start on all the other parties. The Republican primary candidates have months of fighting ahead while they will sap each other's funding and damage each other's showroom shine, battling to get their party's nomination. He could also be taking notes on the Republicans as they do his campaign research for him. As they fight for the nomination, they will dig up all manner of dirt on each other, and if Kennedy is smart, he would build dossiers on all of them using the information they provide, for free. 
When one finally Highlanders out of that Thunderdome to be nominated, Kennedy can just take that file out for that person and start swinging on day one. Kennedy would be able to take that time to court funding, build his campaign infrastructure, gain ballot access in all 50 states, refine his messaging, and set the tone against President Biden. Why should Biden be scared, you say? I'll show you. One of the consistent stories in the past couple of months with Trump is not only his staggering poll numbers over his Republican primary rivals, but his statistical dead heat in polling against Joe Biden in a hypothetical general election between them. Even now it persists. And on October 6th, Ipsos Reuters poll of over a thousand people across the political spectrum, the numbers were 35% for Joe Biden. For Trump, 35%. 11% would vote for literally anyone else. No name was given to the people polled. You can be mad all you want if you are, but among independents, nobody likes these guys or wants to see a replay of 2020, but here we are. Same poll, same dead heat. They both get a 56% unfavorability rating. Now it gets interesting. In that same poll, when literally anybody was replaced with a stammering anti-vaxxer, Trump dropped to 33% and Biden to 31%, with Kennedy scoring 14%. Yeah, you don't think Joe Biden saw that poll? You know he did, and it's interfering with his nappy times. Kennedy's unfavorability rating was only 38%, but to be fair, 14% also said they didn't know who he was, so there's that. The Republicans are concerned as well. Politico is saying Kennedy, quote, is poised to be the most formidable independent presidential candidate in more than two decades. They continue that with his name recognition and widespread voter dissatisfaction, he is in a position, quote, to earn the largest share of the vote for an independent candidate since Ross Perot. Perot drew almost 19% in the 1992 election and is often blamed for George Bush, the elder, losing to Bill Clinton. This is an often repeated but factually incorrect trope. Multiple polls have demonstrated that Perot pulled votes equally from both, but party bosses will never figure moderates out. Just listen to the language used by the two big parties. It shows their sense of entitlement. Allies of Biden are calling Kennedy's independent run, quote, dangerous. The Republican National Committee is concerned that they are losing the anti-vaxxers in their voter base to such an ardent champion of that belief. What? <sighs> votes are votes, I guess. I mean, these two parties could, you know, offer something new and uplifting and actually attempt to win over voters rather than scare them in, but that's just crazy talk. I apologize. I get dreamy and forget how the game is played sometimes. Kennedy may have the backing to mount a serious campaign, too. The American Values 2024 Super PAC is supporting Kennedy with $9.8 million, with $5 million of it Timothy Mellon's money. Who is that? I'll tell you. Timothy Mellon is an 81-year-old billionaire who gave $10 million to the American First Action Super PAC in 2020. What's that? That's a PAC that is, quote, dedicated to supporting federal candidates who back the policy agenda of President Donald Trump. He also gave $1.5 million to the Make America Great Inc. Super PAC last year. That's literally MAGA Incorporated, y'all. Now Mellon has given money to Kennedy. You don't think Trump's people see that? You know they do. Trump's campaign spokesman, Stephen Chung, is already on the attack, saying, quote, voters should not be deceived by anyone who pretends to have conservative values. 
a formerly supportive Sean Hannity, who let Kennedy have an hour-long town hall in front of a live audience earlier this year, seems to have soured on the black sheep of the Kennedy family. When RFK was running against Biden in the Democratic primary, Hannity treated him like a hero. But his attitude changed right about the moment Kennedy went independent and became a threat to Biden and Trump. It was a different Hannity who interviewed Kennedy Tuesday night. Sean came out swinging, pretty much going down the list of talking points put out by the Republican National Committee Monday and finished with, quote, That's a pretty liberal of a record as anybody I know. RFK Jr. chuckled and asked, Do you really want to talk about my position, Sean, or do you want to read talking points from the Trump campaign? Hannity protested and called them Hannity points. Well, Kennedy is bringing his own points to Florida right now on the campaign trail. He's definitely bringing a different flavor to this race. Maybe it's something you're interested in. He is also currently scheduled to speak at the Las Vegas Investor Conference at the end of the month hosted by CPAC. You know, the Conservative Political Action Conference? He will share the stage with Republican primary candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. What? Holy mixed signals, GOP. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take the time to leave a comment here and on Podchaser. It helps us know how we're doing and what topics you'd like to hear in the future. Have a great day.